I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7. Moses continues in his sermons to Israel as they prepare to enter the land without him. What do you say to a people that progress? Even as we think about one who has gone to be with the Lord. What do you say to those whom you love in the days you know will be your last? Moses, being moved and inspired by the Holy Spirit, reminds them here in chapter 7 that they are an uncommon people that, is, that are tied to, that are covenantally united to an incomparable God. Deuteronomy 7, beginning in verse 1, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you, and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them, and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break them down, or break, sorry, you shall break down their altars, and dash in pieces their pillars, and chop down their ashram, and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord. Your God, the Lord your God, has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the earth, the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. And redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations, and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall, therefore, be careful to do the commandment and the statutes And the rules that I command you today. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed Above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you. Or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness. And none of the evil diseases of Egypt which you knew. He will inflict on you. But he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them. Neither shall you serve their gods. For that would be a snare to you. If you say in your heart. These nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? 
You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember that the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand, and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourself lest you be ensnared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it for it is devoted to destruction. This far the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, help us to understand such violent texts as these. When you use your servant Israel in the Old Testament to reveal what your servant, your son, the servant of the Lord, the one who though was crushed, would become in his resurrection the crusher the serpent crusher, the one who is and is crushing all of his and our enemies so that we have this great inheritance to look forward to for we know the earth is the Lord's and he will one day give it to his people. We pray, O Lord, for this great and everlasting and hope-giving perspective. We pray this in your name, amen. This Sunday evening, We look at the application of Yahweh's incomparable character, his impenetrable power, his never-ending statutes and promises, and that what he has said is true, and it will endure for all eternity, and that he will give to his people that which belongs even now to his and our enemies. It is right for us to be covenantal theologians when we study the Old Testament. And as we look at the Old Testament, that we are to understand that Old Testament Israel being God's visible church on earth now correlates to the New Testament church that is under Christ's kingship and rule. And that with the coming of Christ, an order of change has occurred. And that the fulfillment of Israel, or what would uh, endeavor to be fulfilled by Israel in the Old Testament, that they would go into the land and that they would drive out all the enemies of God. We look at that and we say, did Israel do that? Well, they did for a time, but they did not do it thoroughly. No man can. Israel is a nation made up of men, and though they were loved and anointed and chosen and called by God to be his special people, even their great kings sinned. Even at times their prophets failed. We are men. That ultimately Deuteronomy 7 is fulfilled not in the work of a nation, not the nation of Israel, but the one who is Israel himself, 
our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this evening, what I want us to do is I want us to look at three things under two points. I hope that's not too confusing. The first thing that I do want us to look at is how Israel is a holy, unique, and uncommon people in all the earth and the correlation with the church. Second, how they are unique because God himself is incomparable in his might and glory. And then I want us to take those two things and I want to see how those things are manifested in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So firstly, an uncommon and unique people, an uncommon and unique people, and then second, an incomparable God. An incomparable God. Let's look at this first main heading. An uncommon and unique people. Now, in verses 1 through 5, in verse 11, and in verses 25 through 26, we see that the Lord is calling Israel to act, to believe, to behave in such a way as it represents their unique status as God's, Yahweh's, beloved people. And the first principle that I want to focus on is that they were not to make treaties with the unbeliever and they were not to marry the unbeliever. No treaties and no marriages. Now you may say this is harsh, but God knows the hearts of men and he knows the hearts of his children especially and he knows... That if Israel allows for idolaters to dwell in the land, that their idolatry will soon bleed into their lives and into their hearts and corrupt the way of true religion. Israel was not to allow themselves to be influenced by the gods of this world, the gods of these seven great nations. And even as God began the work of purifying the promised land, Israel was to continue it by not giving their hearts over to idolatry. Because the heart of the covenant is what? You shall worship the Lord your God and have no other gods before him. This is decidedly more difficult to do if your church is built next to some temple that is erected in the honor of some pagan eight-armed sex god. Parents, have you had the challenge of driving by just the local Adam and Eve and your kids go, what is that? I wish I didn't have to answer that question. But I answer it. I answer it honestly. And I say, this is the world we live in. And we are obsessed with a worldly pursuit of pleasure, power, and wealth. What's even more difficult is to be in bed with a person who wants you to wake up in the morning and to take your newly born child and to offer that child in the arms of an iron god. Who will win that battle? Parents, who will win that battle if it's your teenager seeking to enter into a relationship with an unbeliever? Or teenagers, young people, who wins that battle? Do you know who wins that battle? Whoever's closer. In your mind and in your heart. Proximity is so important. Felt proximity. And when I say felt proximity, I mean as it relates to your senses. And God says, Israel, I know how easy it is for you to go astray. Make sure that when you get into the land that you don't leave a little bit back in the cupboard, the dessert cupboard. Your cheek cupboard. I want every part of your heart. 
And I will not be content if I have 95%. I want every bit of it. All of it. Because ultimately, it is the heart of the people that God is after. And if God is bringing judgment upon all unrighteousness, then he does not want anything in his people that is worthy of judgment. He wants his people to be holy and to pursue that holiness. And it is hard to fight when there is an unending source of ungodliness around us. I remember years ago in high school, we played in a youth group a couple of times. We went and played paintball. Paintball's great. And we played a lot of different kinds of games. And one of the games that we played was um, once you get hit, you're out and you're out for the game. Well, that's not fun if you're the first person out and the game goes on for 20 minutes. But then we played another game, which is after you get shot, you can go back after a few minutes. That game is decidedly more difficult to win because every time you get somebody out, someone else replenishes their ranks. Calvin says it this way, our hearts are idol factories. And as soon as we defeat one idol, guess what? Boop, another one pops up in its place. And God understands that this is the constant inclination of our hearts and our fight against wickedness. As soon as we take care of one enemy, another enemy pops up. As soon as we think we have one sin under control, another sin even seems to take its place. No treaties, no marriages with those who are idolaters. You can't declare peace with someone who wants to kill you and steal your soul. And drag you to hell. It's never worked. And it never will work. And we need to understand. That Satan does not want peace with us. He doesn't want peace at all. He knows his end. He knows that the eternal lake of fire is coming. Because he believes this. He knows this to be true. And he has seen things that you and I have never seen. And he's going to take as many as he can with him to that place of misery. And when he offers you sin like the white witch of Narnia, it's not because she wants to adopt you and make her your child. It's because she wants to kill you and drink your blood <laughs> and destroy your life. Your sin is a monster. John Owen said it this way, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's a fight. And so don't let the enemy build an embassy next to your house or in your bed. Tear it down. Tear down all those tempting, soul-stealing high places. Follow God and complete the work that he has begun. Now, in this, there's another principle that I want to move on, and maybe I'll calm down a little bit, because <laughs> I'm getting excited, because I see it in my own heart. I see the battle, and I'm so finished with it. I want it to be done. If anything, the death of the saints reminds us of what? There is an end to the battle. And that is good. Praise the Lord that there is an end coming. I want to talk about this 
this idea, the theological, creational, redemptive idea that I've often referred to as monkey see, monkey do. When God created all things, he didn't, he left some of it unfinished. Not not good, but unfinished. So that when he put man in the garden, he gave to the man and to the woman the responsibility to finish it. To take a part, to take part in it. And in this, Adam and Eve as priests were like Christ. Who in the cross, remember what he said in his death? It is finished. Now I ask you this question, is it finished? Well, the work of redemption, that is redemption accomplished, is complete. But Christ gave to the apostles another kind of recreational, new creation mandate. That is the Great Commission. What I began, now you go and finish. When God led Israel into the land of promise, he's saying, I am preparing this place. I am taking care of the stuff that you cannot do so that you can go in and finish it. Now, here's the problem. They failed in the mission. When they would go and they would destroy a city, sometimes the soldiers would take a little bit of that gold and put it in their pocket and take it back home. Was the gold the problem? No. It was not the fact that there was gold in a pocket. It's that that gold represented stealing from God And also, not trusting that he would provide. We do this all the time. We see God do an incredible work. And the very next emotion is, I don't don't know if God will do the next great thing. In fact, here is how the world will conquer the church if we are not careful. At least the church in the West. They will threaten to take away the wealth that is our false security. They will fire you. They will threaten you. They will encroach upon your life and the lives of your loved ones. And they will say, we can take that away. Christ even says, though, what? Do not fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the body and send the soul to hell. If God is sovereign over all things, then we have a job to do that he has already promised will result in the end that he has made clear in his word, which is what? The church will become the power that all men must contend with and is in many ways already that power. And the way that that manifests itself is this. Every time the world tries to persecute the church, what happens? What happens when you cut off a starfish's leg? You know what happens? It just grows back. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. God isn't saying when you get into the land, things are going to be easy. No, no, no. There's wars to fight. People will die. There will be conflict. 
And the tendency of your heart will be to desire truces with the enemy so that you may no longer have to fight against their gods, their idols, and the sin that is within your heart. But you cannot cease to engage in battle. Parents, when was the last time you had a TGIF? I mean, really. You know what I'm talking about? When was the last time you actually on Friday night said, you know what, I get to sleep in on Saturday. And then all of a sudden, these little hands and these little voices come into your room. And they're like, Mommy, Daddy. And there it goes. The promise of getting up at 8 in the morning. It's 6 in the morning. You think, relief. Just some relief. Maybe it's the job. Maybe you go from one illness to another. Maybe it's friends who desert you. All of these things, threats to your well-being. Some of them are great and strong and powerful. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Seven nations more numerous and mightier than Israel. Israel. You don't have to be very mighty to be mightier than Reformation OPC. We're a little church. But that doesn't matter. Because our king is seated in heaven. And to Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. The Lord is saying, Israel... Open your eyes and see things as the way they really are. It's my land. I'm giving it to you. I'm taking it from them. Here you go. It's yours. Don't squander the gift. Live as those who have been called. Live as those who are uncommon in their reception of divine affection. And why Israel? It's because they weren't Big. It's because they weren't worthy. It's because God loved them. Why did God love them? Because He does. He did. And He continues. He continues to love those who, in the eyes of the world, appear insignificant. But by the time that Israel left Egypt, Egypt was saying, get out of here. You're causing too much trouble. Get out. Just little old Israel. I want the nations to say of Reformation, will you just stop? Will you stop telling us the truth? Will you stop preaching the word? And you know what? That's what the world does. You know why? Because the world hates the truth. Because they hate God and they love wickedness. I want you to be the rock that is in the shoe. I want you to be those who in season and out of season not only know what is right, know what is wrong, know what is dangerous, know what is good, reject those things which are wicked but rejoice and expect to do great things of, that God will do with small 
players. When David stood before Goliath, was he afraid? He was hacked off. And you know why he was angry? Because Goliath was spewing forth profanity against the God of Israel, against the God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. And so what did David do? He cut his head off. He hit him with a rock, and then he cut his head off. And in that moment, God was showing the entire Philistine army, I am the power to contend with. Because David didn't go in his own name, right? In fact, Israel, in their fleshly human way, wanted to give David glory that he was not deserving of. And David stood before Goliath in a measure of courage because he understood not we need to fear those who are bigger, but as one pastor said, and I love it, he looked at Goliath and didn't see someone more powerful. He saw a big forehead, a big target. And so he flung that rock and dropped him down. Our perspective needs to shift. Our God is seated in heaven. And for this reason, not only because he is powerful, but expressly because he loves us and he has chosen us and he will use us, we need to reject that which is false, which does not lead to life, but to embrace the life-giving God. We need to know and reject that which God will destroy and be instrumental in its destruction. Now, here is where the correlation between the Old Testament, Israel, and New Testament church is very important. I am not calling you now to arm yourselves against those who practice wickedness with the weapons of this world. For two important reasons, there is a shift. Even as Israel, the nation, is a type of Christ... And their warfare against the nations, the pagan nations of this world, is indicative of Christ's battle against Satan. That battle that God gave to Israel in the Old Testament has been won. Christ destroyed the head of the serpent at the tree. The death of Christ has ushered us into a new age of the New Testament church. And so Christ has crushed Satan's head. In other words, what, what Israel failed to do in Deuteronomy 7, Christ did perfectly. He was not tempted by the idols of this world. He said no, and he crushed. He completed the work of covenant redemption victory. And now he conquers the world by the sending out of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of his word. This is the sword that we are called to be armed with in Ephesians chapter 6. Be armed with the sword of salvation. And so we go forth now tearing down pagan idolatrous strongholds with the word of God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We are bringing to nothing the kingdom of darkness. But there is still a fight and there are still idols and our hearts are still enticed 
And so we must be devoted to destroying those idols, those temptations, those things that would remove us and take us out of the mission of the gospel, of the gospel takeover of all the world. Because we are a people, verse 6, holy to the Lord our God. So what does that mean? Flee to Christ for salvation. Reject all that is not surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. And through the word and by the spirit, put to death those idols that so easily entice you. Don't enter into a truce with that which will steal your soul. This is what makes us an uncommon people. Is that we have this unique call to live according to the matchless character of God. All right. Let's look at the incomparable God. If we are an uncommon people, it is because we have been chosen by an incomparable God. What makes you unique is not your DNA. It's not your hair color, eye color, fingerprints, although those things physically make you different from another. What makes us unique according to our eternal identity is that we have been shown mercy and we have been shown the affection of a holy God. And as Israel endeavors to be uncommon, Moses time and again, you see this, reminds them of how it is they were made unique. And it is the action of a gracious and powerful God. In verses 17 through 24, in the first few verses of this chapter, we see that the Lord gave Israel the land. How did he give it to them? By destroying those who once possessed it. You were once a member of darkness. You were not in the covenant in terms of time and space, at one point it appeared that you belonged to the kingdoms of this earth. And God called you out of that kingdom into his kingdom of marvelous light. He saved you. And though all of those things were decreed before the foundations of the earth, at one point in your life, even as a little child, most likely, there was a season of spiritual deprivation and death. Until Christ, by his Holy Spirit, came in, conquered you, and made you his own, his bondservant. This is what makes you uncommon, and this is what makes God incomparable. There is no other God who is greater than the ones who worship him. We sang this in Psalm 135. Every God of men is lesser than the ones who worship him. Think about that. Every pagan worshiper sings, they can read, they can smell, they can touch, they can make things happen. And yet they give their glory and honor to something that can do none of those things. Think about that. The lesser gods of men are lesser than the men. They're nothing. They're absolutely nothing. And so Paul in Romans 9 says, let me blow your minds for a minute. Shall the clay say to the potter, why have you made me this way? 
In Romans chapter 9, Paul says to the Romans, who worshiped lesser gods than they, that is not the God of the Bible. You don't get to talk to God that way. You don't get to think that way about God. Our God is the one true God of heaven and earth, and he does what he pleases. And yet, that does not mean he's fickle. He's good. He's predictable because he's given us his word. And what we see is that God loves a people, he punishes wickedness, and he rewards righteousness. So what does that mean? Seek righteousness from his hand. Look at what God has done. In Egypt, in the wilderness, not to mention creation, Noah and the flood, the judgment of Babel, and so many other other occasions of God's mercy. You look and you see and you go, oh, that's my God. He is the one who has redeemed me. And so we ought to live in such a way as to magnify and manifest the uniqueness of his glory on earth. We are not mere rule followers. We are glory incarnators. That means our lives ought to reflect the glory of the one who saved our lives. The entirety of your mission in obedience to the law of God is to reveal how good the one is who gave you the law. And when the world sees your obedience, you don't say, yeah, you're right, I'm great. But look at the one who made it all. He is good. And the better you live according to the law of God, the more light you exhibit that isn't your light. It's his light. Is shining through you. It's the intoxicating light of the Christian who is set ablaze. Not being offered to the idols of this world, but to the one true living God of Israel. He is incomparable, and that makes us unique. He is incomparable, even as we understand that we are a chosen people. He is a God with sovereign decrees who has laid out boundaries of those who are his and those who are not. And the way in which that is manifested is those who rejoice in the Lord and those who reject him and go after the idols of this earth. The reason why these seven great nations were destroyed by God was because they were idolaters. They were getting from God the wrath and penalty due to their sin. And the only thing that could have saved them was God's mercy. But do you know what? God chose judgment. He chose judgment. Because he set enmity between his chosen people and those who were not his chosen people. And if that makes you uncomfortable, there is an enormous amount of scripture that will make you uncomfortable. God delights in choosing for himself a holy beloved bride. And not all men were chosen. Some were chosen to be objects of wrath, some to be objects of mercy. And for those whom God loves as his children and those who receive the warning, the visible church, he says, don't flirt with the enemy. 
Do not give yourself to these things. But as one who is incomparable, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole summary of wisdom. This is the whole summary of the law. Fear God and keep his commandments. In fact, in Proverbs 29, verse 25, we read, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoever puts his trust in the Lord will be safe. Whenever we become enamored with the things of this world, we give sin too large a place in our heart. And we make truces with the world for two reasons. We fear the world or we love the world. We fear the threats of the world because we think they can do something to us. And they can. There have been many Christians who have gone to death at the hands of wicked rulers. But Christ says what? They can't touch your soul. We love the world, and we willingly go with them. Rather, the call is to fear God and keep his commands. In fact, if anything, looking and remembering the mighty actions of God as he punishes the wicked, as he rewards the righteous, what does that inherently cause you to do? Which camp do you wish to be part of? The ones that will prevail. The ones who will endure to the very end. And this is given to those who fear him. Christ came to do what Israel could not. He broke the back of the devil. And even now he rules and reigns by his Holy Spirit. And he through his spirit teaches us how to fear God and keep his commandments. How to walk in righteousness how to combat the temptations of the evil one, to be able to identify what is good and what is wicked, what is true and what is false, who is God worthy of worship and that which is an idol. And so look to what God has said, what God has revealed, and what God has promised yet to reveal. There will come a day when Christ will return And there will be two responses to his coming. Abject terror or utter relief. Two opposite poles. Abject terror or utter relief. Which one will it be? Will there be idols in hand? Well, brothers and sisters... That's the battle, isn't it? Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do and I, do, I don't do the things I want to do. Oh, who will deliver me from this body of death? And even as Christ has broken the back of the devil, as long as you're here, he's not done with you. And in worship tonight, even now, he gives us opportunity to see those idols killed even before our very eyes. And he will continue to do that. And he wants us to join in that. To delight in the overthrow of the kingdom of darkness through the ministry of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit.